Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recaps, here today to discuss Season 4, Episode 15 of the Golden Girls' Valentine's Day. This episode originally aired on February 11th of 1989, so let's explore what other intriguing historical events have transpired on February the 11th. Well, way back in 660 BCE, uh, it is the traditional date given for the foundation of Japan by Emperor Jammu. In 385, uh, Siracius, the Bishop of Tarragona, is elected as Bishop of Rome and is generally recognized as the first pope to have any actual power over the church. In 1812, uh, Massachusetts Governor Elbridge Gerry signs a redistricting bill and this is cited as the first instance of gerrymandering and gets its name from Governor Jerry. Uh, in 1905, in our Strange History event, James Blackstone of Seattle bowls a 299.5 game as the last pin breaks in half but remains standing. Okay. Wow. Uh, in 2009, uh, famed psychic Yuri Geller purchases Lamb Island in Scotland, known as the site of many witch trials in its history. Uh, in 2013, Pope Benedict XVI announces his resignation from the papacy, becoming the first pope to resign since 1415. In our most recent history event on February 11th of 2019, an artificial intelligence system is pitted against physicians in a test to diagnose 600,000 patients correctly. The artificial intelligence system wins in a close competition. Mm. Uh, so that is our history lesson from for today. So why don't you tell us what transpired in this romantic installment of the Golden Girls. All right, well, there was no 299 and a half game bolt. No, this is a flashback episode. Mm -hmm. Scene one, we're in the kitchen. Sophia and Dorothy, they're sitting at the table, and Dorothy is trying some Valentine's Day chocolates. She has a piece that Sophia has apparently tried already. Yes. Dorothy's date has dumped her for Valentine's Day due to having to go out of town. Uh, Rose enters, and her date has also dumped her for the day. Blanche comes in and thinks she looks devastating and learns Rose and Dorothy don't have dates. The phone rings and Blanche's date. Tom's her for the day. Uh, Blanche then pulls a chair up to the table and we start reminiscing about past Valentine's days. The first one is from Sophia. Scene two, flashback one. Sophia is in the driver's seat of a very old but nice looking car with her dad in the back seat. Sal is pushing the car into a mechanic's garage in Chicago. Sal and Sophia's father have words, as the father does not like or respect Sal at all. The mechanic is going on lunch break, so Sal thinks he will fix the car. Uh, it turns out there is a St. Valentine's Day massacre at the gas station, and Sal will push the car to another garage a couple of blocks away. Okay, it is not the real big St. Valentine's Day Massacre, as Sophia lets us know. Scene three, we're back in the kitchen. 
They talk about the next flashback first. It was Rose's fault, and it was just last year. Scene four, flashback two. They are at a cute little woodsy mountain retreat. They are checking in at their hotel motel, and the clerk's Klingenspritzer's showing. Uh, yeah, he is in the buff. And we get a good whoa from Dorothy and a look of awe from Blanche. They are at a clothing optional resort. Yes, now and must now, stay the night. Now, given Blanche's experience here, I'm trying to imagine how big this thing would have to be for her to be in awe of its presence here. I'm not really sure, but it would have to be pretty impressive. I would. Yeah. Think. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Rose misunderstood the brochure, and Dorothy reads the brochure. And, of course, there is no way to misunderstand this brochure. Uh, yes, Blanche is looking out the window and enjoying people playing volleyball. Ah, Dorothy gets in another, whoa. Yeah, they decide to join in on these festivities. Uh, we see them going to dinner and usually stay behind things on their way to the dining room. As they enter the dining room, they notice everybody else has their clothes on, and they are informed that they always dress for dinner and that the management would actually like these girls to dress for all the meals. Well, that's pretty rude. I'm sorry. Scene five. We're back in the kitchen. The girls decide they will go out to dinner by themselves, but Sophia says she has a date, and yes, it is with Julio Iglesias. Of course, the other girls don't believe it. But scene six, flashback three, Blanche at a restaurant by herself. She tells the waiter she has continued this tradition where her husband proposed to her. Even though George has now passed on, well, another guy overhears this story and tells Blanche he is thinking of proposing, but is very nervous. Blanche talks about her proposal and tells him all about it. And, you know, things haven't changed in 30 or 40 years. Yet, yeah, nothing's changed. So his date enters. He's going to propose. And, yes, it is another man. And Blanche says, well, maybe some things have changed a little. Scene 7. We're back in the kitchen. Rose wonders if the guy's date ever showed up. Yeah, she's not too bright. We then have another flashback of the time. They were going on a cruise. The girls were to the Bahamas. Scene eight, we're in the drugstore. They're all in line and Blanche thinks they may need to buy condoms and they are trying to be very secretive about buying them. But yeah, as normal, they need a price check and blabbed all over the store and it is pretty funny. Scene nine, we're back in the kitchen, we learn they never used the condoms on the cruise except for Rose, who used hers to fill with water and throw at people in the limbo line. The doorbell rings and Sophia thinks it will be her date, but all the girls go out there to see. At scene 10, we're in the living room. It happens to be the dates for the three girls and they have reservations for dinner and dancing and the limousine is waiting. Yes, they were playing a big joke. That's not a very good joke. Sophia still maintains that she has a date with you-know-who, Julio Iglesias. So the girls leave and Sophia runs to the kitchen and starts to put away the ice cream when there is a knock on the back door. And it is Julio Iglesias. 
and he is ready to take Sophia to dinner as this episode ends. Well, we have a few cultural references to explain uh, throughout this episode. Firstly, to C. Everett Coop, uh, who was a pediatric surgeon uh, and most notably the 13th Surgeon General uh, under Reagan. Uh, that's pretty much it um, with him. Um, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in the year 79 uh, is one of the most famous and deadly volcanic eruptions in European history, uh, witnessed and documented by Pliny the Younger. Uh, that's, you know, that's the short version of it. Okay. That's uh, all the, we need. Yeah, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre was the 1929 Valentine's Day murder of seven members and associates of Chicago's North Side Gang. Uh, Studs Terkel uh, was an American author, historian, actor, and broadcaster who received the 1985 Pulitzer Prize for General Nonfiction uh, for his book, The Good War. Uh, then, clothing optional resorts are exactly what they sound like, and I found a very helpful article on TripsToDiscover.com about the six best clothing optional resorts in the world. Oh boy. Uh, this, was, this is from uh, March 1st of this year. Uh, so this is recently updated. So uh, wow. <laughs> The Natural in Caraco in the Caribbean. Uh, Hedonism 2. Uh, now they do distinguish here that, uh, the, that first one is a, a family friendly uh, resort uh, roughly. Uh, they welcome any guest over the age of 14 uh, to attend their place. All the rest are 18 plus um, more erotic based um, couples, hotels, and whatnot, um, such as the Hedonism 2 in Negril, Jamaica, uh, the Desiree Riviera Maya Pearl Resort in Cancun. Uh, which uh, is, according to this article, an ideal place to have some adults-only fun in a sexually charged atmosphere. Okay. Uh, the Cypress Cove Resort in Kissimmee, Florida, uh, is a family-friendly and family-owned resort, according to it as well. Uh, it includes pet-friendly rooms as well. Uh, Sunland Holiday Village in Southern Australia. Uh, and the Hidden Beach Resort in Riviera Maya, Mexico. So those are the six best uh, clothing Ooh. optional resorts in the world to visit, apparently. Uh, and since I know you are intrigued, I did look up any uh, near us to see, you know, kind of what's around. Uh, so the two that Google recommends to us are the Sun Shower Country Club in Centerville uh, and the Fern Hills Club in Bloomington to go to is what the, is Google's recommendation. Okay. Uh, the two nearest us that are uh, above four-star uh, resorts or you know hotels. So uh, for your information there, I'll email those links over to you to for your booking details you yeah. can go look at. Thank you. Um, David Horowitz uh, is an American conservative writer, uh, the founder of the David Horowitz Freedom Center 
editor of its magazine, the Front Page Magazine, and director of Discover the Networks, uh, which is a website that tracks individuals and groups uh, with politically left-leaning ideas in order to figure out where they are or something, I don't know. Um, he wrote several books with author Peter Collier, uh, including four on prominent 20th century American political families uh, that had members elected to the presidency. Uh, Julio Iglesias is a Spanish singer, songwriter, and former, former professional football player. Uh, that would be uh, standard football, not American football. Um, so Valentine's Day and its historical origins. So uh, Valentine's Day, also known as St. Valentine's Day or the Feast of St. Valentine, uh, is celebrated annually on February 14th. It originated as a Western Christian feast day honoring one or maybe two, the history isn't entirely clear, uh, early saints named Valentinus. Uh, Valentine's Day is recognized as a significant cultural, religious, and commercial celebration of romance and romantic love in many regions around the world. Uh, there are numerous martyrdom stories associated with various Valentines connected to February the 14th, including a written account of St. Valentine of Rome's imprisonment for performing weddings for soldiers who were forbidden to marry and for ministering to Christians persecuted under the Roman Empire. Uh, according to legend, St. Valentine restored sight to the blind daughter of his judge and wrote her a letter signed, Your Valentine, as a farewell before his execution. The Feast of St. Valentine was established by Pope Galatius I in 496, to be celebrated on February the 14th in honor of the Christian martyr St. Valentine of Rome, who died on that day in 269. Uh, the day later first became associated with romantic love within the circle of Geoffrey Chaucer in the 14th century when the tradition of courtly love flourished. Uh, and then that took off later on in the 18th century England, uh, growing into an occasion in which couples expressed their love for each other by presenting flowers offering confectionaries and sending greeting cards. Uh, and since the 19th century, handwritten valentines have given way to mass-produced greeting cards. Uh, although, so that's pretty much that, more or less. Um, and also, many parts of the Eastern Orthodox Church also celebrate the day on July 6th and July 30th. Uh, the 6th in honor of Roman Presbyter St. Valentine, and the latter, July 30th, in honor of Hero Martyr Valentine, the Bishop of Interum, Interumna. Yeah, uh, so that's the history, briefly, of Valentine's Day. Um, so, yeah, the part you brought up there about Blanche helping that, that one guy, uh, you know, decide to propose to his boyfriend... Um, so, legally, of course, in 1989, Florida and any territorial... Uh, any, you know, U.S. state po post the inception of the U.S., roughly, uh, outside of your Native American tribes, which is different. Um, uh, technically, sure, they couldn't legally get married until 2004, and they'd have to go to Massachusetts for that. Uh, so I'm assuming, um, beyond the obvious point of this being just for a, a, a gag, right, um, which is the main point of it, uh, yeah. I'm assuming this would just be your... Standard at the time, um, for show 
wedding thing that we're gonna pretend we're married, but legal we get none of the legal benefits of of it, of course. Uh, thing going on there. Um, Chapstick is a brand name of lip balm. Uh, Pinkerton Guards. Um, so Pinkerton, which was founded as the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, is a private security guard and detective agency which was established in the United States by Scotsman Alan Pinkerton in 1850. Uh, so that is pretty much that. It's just a security guard brand, I guess. Uh, Nestle Crunch is a chocolate bar made of milk chocolate and crisped rice. I assume uh, Sophia brings up a product called Din Dinchu Grip. Okay. Uh, so that is a dental adhesive that, from trademark records I found, uh, was first sold in 1941, later trademarked in 81, and that trademark was canceled in 2002. So I assume uh, that's when that product w went out of uh, circulation. Uh, different varieties of condoms. Uh, so, of course, there are many uh, varieties of condom around. Of course, the, uh, the female condom, of course. Uh, then your standard, uh, uh, you know, male condoms. Uh, you know, you have your natural latex variety, uh, your synthetic variety, your lambskin variety, um, as well as uh, your spermicidal condoms, uh, and then more recently your... Uh, ribbed, studded uh, type of condoms uh, f to increase sexual pleasure while using the condom, either for the wearer or the um, penetratee. Um, Coors Light is a brand of beer. Uh, the Love Boat was an American uh, comedy set on a luxury passenger cruise ship that aired for nine seasons somehow. And then begin the Beguine, I guess, uh, not to be confused with the R.E.M. song Begin the Begin, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, begin the Beguine is a popular song written by Cole Porter. Uh, it was first introduced in October of 1935 by June Knight in the Broadway production of Jubilee. Uh, so that's our history lesson for today. We have a few side characters to discuss. Firstly, Salvador, uh, once again played by Sid Melton, uh, known for Captain Midnight, the Steel Helmet, Close Up, among other things. Uh, Sophia's father was played by Bill Dana, I believe is how that is pronounced, uh, known for The Nude Bomb, The Bill Dana Show, The Spike Jones Show, and Get Smart. He also previously appeared on uh, the girls here as uh, Uncle Angelo. He uh, uh, appeared as him oh. uh, last season. And in a few more episodes coming up, he will be there. He's also a one-time Emmy nominee uh, for Best Writing on a Musical or Variety Program for The Steve Allen Show in 1959. Uh, the Mechanic is played by John Harnagel, uh, known for My Blue Heaven, Medium, Desperate Housewives, and Murder, She Wrote. All one or two episode uh, side appearances, more or less, there. Uh, the Hotel Clerk is played by Peter Elbling, 
uh, known for Honey, I Blew... Oh, that's a, that's a writer. Um, acting credits include Criminal Minds, NCIS, uh, Mr. Vinegar and the Curse, uh, and Murphy Brown, all, you know, one-up appearances. Uh, he's also known for his uh, work as a writer on such films as uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Uh, that's really the only notable one. Uh, he also wrote, like, um, Disco Beaver from Outer Space. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, boy. Yeah, um, he is a three-time Emmy nominee uh, for uh, Outstanding Animated Program in 1985 for uh, Donald Duck's 50th Birthday Special. Uh, also in 85, he had two other Emmy nominations. For Outstanding Individual Achievement in Writing for a Classical Music or Dance Program. For Great Performances, Dance in America. Uh, for the episode Barishnikov by Tharp with the American Ballet Theater. And then also Outstanding Writing in a Variety or Music Program for Motown Returns to the Apollo. All 1985 Emmys, uh, he won zero of those three noms. Um, the guy carrying the luggage there uh, was played by Michael Blue, known for Murder, She Wrote, Hunter, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, and Misfits of Science. Uh, the waiter at the nudist resort is played by Wayne C. Dvorak, known for Sisters, Double Trouble, Columbo, and The Single Girls. Uh, all, you know, one, two episode appearances. Uh, the waiter at the bar is played by Julian Dayer, uh, known for Remington Steel. Is that a multiple part appearance? No, one episode. Uh, Slam Dance, Simon and Simon, and T.J. Hooker. Uh, the bar patron is played by Tom Isbell, uh, known for The Abyss, True Lies, Clear and Present Danger, and The Equalizer. He seems to play a lot of like reporter-type characters uh -huh. here. Reporters or police officers, it seems like, is what he's playing a lot of. Um, the cashier at the drugstore is played by Pat McCormick, uh, known for Smokey and the Bandit. He plays Big Enos. I don't know who that is. Um, Scrooged, which he plays the Ghost of Christmas Present. Uh, History of the World Part 1 and a, as a writer on the Danny Kay show. Uh, he also wrote some other stuff like uh, Under the Rainbow, The Funnier Side of Eastern Canada, okay, uh, and The Many Sides of Don Rickles. Ooh. Uh, he's also a three-time Emmy nominee for... Uh, for what? Well, let us find out once this Lion King ad gets out of the way. Uh, he was nominated in 1981 for uh, Outstanding Writing uh, for The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Uh, he was nominated in 78 for Outstanding Comedy, Variety, or Music Special Writing for Bette Midler, Old Red Hair is Back. 
Uh, and then in 1966 for Outstanding Writing Achievement in Variety Programming uh, for the Danny Kay Show. Winning none of those uh, Emmy noms, though. Um, the character of Joe, I cannot find any actor credited with playing him, so I don't know who that was. Raymond is played by Joe Faust, uh, known for Hunter, Night Kill, Faith, and the Ghost Dance. That sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> um, Edgar is played by Michael J. London. I was about to say Landon until I read it again. Um, okay. Known for Police Story, ER. He plays a judge for an episode. Falcon Crest and Spree. Uh, yeah, I don't know any of these. Any of those. Um, Steve is played by John Rice who only has two other acting credits in his career, Who's the Boss and The Forbidden Dance, one episode appearances. And then last but not least, Julio Iglesias is played by Julio Iglesias, uh, known for mostly his soundtrack work, but let's see his acting work. Uh, well, he actually doesn't even have an acting credit for this, apparently. Um, oh, as his self he does. Yeah, there we are. Um, yeah, as himself, he's obviously in a lot of stuff, um, but, uh, as not himself, he's in a few things, um, all Spanish titles, so I'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce these, uh, but he's in a, he's got, uh, six acting credits as stuff other than himself, 193 as himself. Uh, two new sexual conquests established in this episode, an unnamed man on top of a mountain for Blanche and an unnamed man on top of an old fat guy named Old Smokey for Dorothy. So our tally now stands Blanche 65, Dorothy 8, Rose 6, Sophia 5. Huh. Okay. Well. Okay, I have just a couple comments about this one. Okay. Um, first comment. Uh, in Sophia's flashback, it's Valentine's Day, which is February 14th. They're in Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. All three of them are wearing heavy coats and hats and say they're very cold, which seems normal. I was going to say that'd be February in Chicago, yeah. Yes. They came into the car shop and Sal's pushing the car. The top's down. You well, were driving around the... with, the... Well, hold <laughs> with on. the top down. That's like the third. It's like the 30s, right? Probably. Probably somewhere in there. So, I mean, I'm no expert on, you know, the history of cars, but I know for a long while, like, cars didn't have roofs, right? Well, I think they still had roofs, yeah. Really? I I don't know, but this was... Yeah, it shows it had a top, I'm pretty sure. Cars without roofs. Or else they wouldn't be very useful in the... Nineteen thirty. Well, you know. I'm sorry, um, but the it's a convertible car. I, at least I thought it was um, a convertible. Okay, here we go. They're tops down. Um, so these are known as Phaeton body cars or Phaeton cars. Uh, so they were a style of open automobile with no fixed weather protection. They were popular between 1900 to the 1930s. Uh, they fell from favor when closed cars and convertible cars became widely available during the 30s. So, 
I don't imagine, you know, Sophia and Sal were rich enough to buy new cars okay. at the time. So. Maybe, huh? Thought for sure cars back then had roofs and stuff. Hmm. Okay, that's kind of weird to drive your... Okay. Well, here it also says this was a popular style in the U.S. from the mid-20s and continuing to the first half of the 30s was the dual cowl phaeton with a cowl separating the rear passengers from the driver and front passenger. Hmm, yes. So this was pretty uh, common, I think, up until about the mid-30s, huh. uh, it sounds like here. Well. These that came without any roof or anything. Huh, okay. So that's probably why, is it's the 30s, they can't afford to buy a new car, so they still have their 1922 model, model. car, I guess, that okay. didn't have a roof. Well, that sounds good. Second, this isn't a big deal probably, but uh, back in Season 2, Episode 17, the Bedtime Story episode, which I know we all remember. No. Dorothy... Back then, she claimed she would like to try a nudist colony. Now, but here, when she is actually at one, she is repulsed by it, which, well, you know, it's possible. I, I understand that. Was that last one you're referring to? Because this is a flashback. This is a flashback. So was the disturbed flashback. Disturbed by. So in that other one, is that in present day, and maybe she's thought more about it? Now, now you know what, like three years ago or whenever that this flashback's supposed to be, I wasn't into it, but now, I'm sure, maybe. Uh, then, well, she should have said something like that, but let's see. This flashback um, happened last year, according to this. Um, so, theoretically, in the between the airing of season two and three, theoretically? Or between three and this one? Well, no, this one does not say it took place last year. Okay, that was the cruise took place last year. Okay. Okay, so the cruise. So maybe she's changed her mind since uh, the time this flashback happens. Uh... Although, if we're going with the first like you know like what like a few weeks before the premiere of this show is when they all move in together yeah so i'm assuming that's not really like a first vacation together as a as a group type of thing i think so but no although this, with rose being in charge of planning it and all it was knows, just last year so that's the the nude hotel visit yeah and this okay. is season four so theoretically between like Three and four, two yes. and three. It should so. have happened between our bedtime story and this episode. And this episode, it should have. So she was interested. She she wanted to know ahead of time that she was going. That's probably part of it. That's too. probably part of it. So she because I mean, sure, in theory, it's like it. you know, in theory, I could be like, yeah, I wouldn't mind trying that out, but you know, it's like, yeah, I'll go in three months here. <laughs> Give me some time. Yes. Whereas if it's, oh, we're going to a hotel tomorrow. Like, oh, okay. And we get there. Oh, this is clothing optional. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> it's a bit different to have it, have uh, that oh, kind of thing sprung on sprung you. Sprung on you. Yeah. When you're not, um, super used to, to, uh, yeah. the, the okay, style well, there. Okay. Well, for me, there were no counts of mine. Nothing in this episode moved any of my counts up any. Uh, so, total counts, weddings, planned weddings are at 9, physical abuses of Rose, 11, 
Saint Olaf Stories 28, Picture at Stories 19, Cheesecakes Eaten 12, Sicily Italian Stories 7, Sicily Italian References 35, uh, The Girls Mad at Each Other Moving Out, etc. 17 times, Sports 23 of those, 28 games, and 11 Stanley Zabornak appearances. Uh, I thought this was kind of an uneven episode. The nudist camp was funny, and the condom scene at the drugstore was just outlandishly great. But uh, Sophia's story and Blanche's were not that great. Well, I mean, I, I have a question about the condom scene. Yes. Now, you're, you're more, obviously, you went to grocery stores in the 80s and all, and I did not. Okay. Um, so how often would you just go up to the counter and, you know, drop, you know, like, here, I want to buy this. And, like, the first thing they say is, I need a price check on this item without, like, I guess this was pre-barcode, wouldn't it? Was it was way been? before pre-barcode. So that would be why. Okay. I yes. got you now. Okay. Back then, it happened quite a bit. Okay. Yes. Okay. That, that, that answers that for me. So I was like... What cashiers would do that? Just randomly, you walk up and immediately it's, I need a price check on these apples. Oh, yeah. Immediately okay. they look, oh, uh -huh. I don't see a price thing. Sticker. Okay. Okay. Pre-barcode. Okay. That would make more sense. It okay. Gotcha. Okay. So my rating was 80 out of 100 on this one. Well, I'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps, The Golden Girls. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until that next episode, goodbye.